Okay, uh, let's begin. Let's begin. Okay, let's pray. Let's start with a word of prayer. Let's pray. I'll give you all some time to pray silently on your own. To give thanks to the Lord for the opportunity to be here. To give thanks to the Lord for the day that has passed today. We give thanks to the Lord for His love and yours forever, Lord. Dear Lord, we give thanks to you for this day. We pray, Lord, that you continue to grant us a grateful heart and open ears to be inclined to hear your word today, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yeah, so we go to the... Oh yeah, first slide. Oh, sorry. Yeah, title today is The Best Is Yet To Be. Uh, so you know why when we uh, go through the session as we go through it. Uh, so we start with some individual uh, discussion question on your own. Uh, so don't worry, I'm not, I mean, if you want to discuss, I'll leave it up to you, but don't have to discuss. Uh, take some time to go through the first five questions. It's quite uh, straightforward. The questions are in your slide. The first one is basically wanting you to reflect on what you have learned uh, last week so that we can keep in mind what God has been speaking to us through the last session. So that's question one. Uh, question two to five is just some uh, questions about today's passage. Uh, so take some time to read. You know, if you have Bibles with you, that will be good as well. It will take the next uh, 10 to 15 minutes. So we will come back. Uh, around uh, 8.20, okay, around 8.20. The famous inventor Thomas Edison tried again and again to find the right filament for the electric light bulb. One day, he had completed his 10,000 experiment only to discover another way that would not work. When he arrived home that night, he shared this news with his wife. And his wife asked him, Aren't you discouraged? She asked. Discouraged? Certainly not. I now know 10,000 ways that won't work. You know, in our current age today, we want everything instant. Instagram, now we've got uh, all the food deliveries. We want everything that is instantly delivered to us. But at the same time, at our own spiritual capacity, we don't wait enough for God and we don't persevere on for the Lord's work. We don't persevere sometimes because we want everything fast, but sometimes it's really through the waiting, through the perseverance, that character is built up. At the beginning of the year, I'm sure in January, uh, most of y'all will have set goals or resolutions. It's easy to set goals or resolutions, but it's tough to carry it out. It's easy to start a new diet, but tough when you crave the ice cream or burger. It's very easy to say that I will start exercising regularly this year, but tough when you have to wake up early and drag your feet to exercise. It's easy to fall in love when you're dating, but tough to continue loving your spouse when he or she gets difficult to love. It's easy to start to serve in any capacity or ministry, but hard to keep going on when things don't meet our expectation. That describes the people uh, in Haggai's day. So in the first question, yeah, we went through, we looked at um, how long after the events of chapter 1. So last week, uh, we uh, talked about chapter 1. This week, we're looking at chapter 2. So as you can see, again, in verse 1, there's a time uh, that's being stated there. And as you can know, if you compare, uh, it's, a, uh, it's a difference of 24th day of 6 months which is in chapter 1, and this one is the 21st day of 7 months. So it's a bit about less, slightly less than 1 month. 
So that's interesting to note first in terms of the time duration. And the time date given here coincide with the same month in which Solomon's temple was dedicated. So if you look back four centuries earlier, in, I'm going to give you the verse reference. I won't explain in detail. Second uh, Chronicles chapter 7, verse 8 to 11, that's when uh, the temple was dedicated. You will see that it's actually the same month. So, I mean, of course, if you are the people at that time, you will definitely have uh, that big event in your mind. And this was also the same period where it was during the Feast of the Tabernacle. So let me just go through briefly about the feast. I won't go through in detail, but that's not, not the main point. But you all can, I put the verse references uh, inside of the different important feasts. You can go back home and read. Uh, it's not the key point, but for your info, you can uh, read it. So basically, now we are at, for them, I mean, during the period, we are basically at the third, during the feast of the Tabernacle, day, 20, day, day 21. So I just let you all flip first. So by day 21, they have celebrated the third festival event. The Feast of the Tabernacle is also known as the Feast of Ingathering, where you gather the first fruit of the harvest. So as you know, they had the lack of uh, they have a bad harvest. So the lack of resources will make them very frustrated, reminding them about the lack of resources that they had. And also coupled by the busyness of the various festivals and looking at the incomplete temple, of course, they'll definitely feel discouraged. So I just set a context for you of why the date is important uh, to let you see why uh, it adds on to their discouragement. Okay, so you can go back home and read the verse references, uh, not to worry. So we look at verse 2. Again, you see the Prophecy is directed directly to certain people or certain groups of people. So you'll see that it's a similar flow as what we went through in chapter 1. So in verse 2, as you can see, there are three groups of uh, people here. Same, Zerubbabel, Joshua, and the remnant of the people. So these are three groups. And as you can see here, leaders are very important. I mean, imagine the, uh, the prophecy could be, okay, let's address it to the people. Why must I specify uh, these two, uh, Zerubbabel and Joshua? It's because the leaders are important. Where leaders lead, people will follow. And if the leaders are discouraged, it is likely that the people will be discouraged as well. So leaders do play a role model as well. And for us, uh, we also should encourage our leaders among us as well as they lead us, especially in this COVID crisis. So that's verse 2. So verse 3 again, you can see uh, a lot of question marks. Right? I think you can at least see there are three question marks there, uh, just in one verse. And it's the same rhetorical technique that Haggai used, uh, similar to chapter 1. So you can see there are three questions here. And in three of these three questions, he emphasized the word you. Who of you? How does it look to you? Does it not seem to you like nothing? So it's really emphasizing the you three times. And then Haggai is also leading the people to think from past to present and to, uh, and to compare them. See, So you see the first question is basically comparing to the past. Who of you is left? So meaning it's a comparison to what happened in the past. Then the second question is basically asking them to consider how does it look to you now, the present, 
So past, present, and then does it not seem to you like nothing? So it's trying to compare between the present, what they see now, comparing to the past. So Haggai is very good. He's using this rhetorical technique to ask the people to consider and to compare. And these rhetorical techniques also helps uh, to build rapport because actually God knows what the people are thinking again. So these three questions, it's not like God doesn't know the answer. You know, He's using a rhetorical technique to get the people to think and to show them that God knows what they're thinking, similar to what we did uh, in, in chapter 1 when the people were giving excuses that it's not time to build the Lord's house. So you can see this rhetorical technique uh, helps to empathize with the people because some of them were very discouraged at what they were looking at the building when they were comparing to the grand splendor of Solomon's temple in the past. And it's probably true that the current building that they were uh, building on is small in comparison uh, to the splendor of the past. And I'm sure that the older Jews uh, also will tell the young people who weren't there in the past all the stories. Wow, very grand, very big. So the younger people will also oh, like compare also. So it's, of course, this discouragement uh, will spread throughout uh, all of them. So God knew what they were thinking and he immediately pinpointed what they were disappointed with. So in their minds, you may, may want, they might be wondering, is this worth the effort? How can this small thing that I'm building compare uh, to the Solomon's temple of the past? Is my work making any difference at all? Are our work that we are doing right now making any difference to the Lord's kingdom? Have you ever felt this way before? Not just only in terms of ministry-wise, but also in your own personal life, in, in your families, to your friends. Do you sometimes feel very discouraged at what little that you can do? Do you get discouraged when you compare with others? When you compare with the successes of other people, maybe they are very successful at their work, maybe they are kids, uh, smart, so-called smarter, doing better. Do we compare with the successes of other people? Maybe even in ministry as well. Do we compare ministry size as well? You see the, the church or your friend doing a very good ministry. Do we compare and grumble within ourselves? Or do we, re, do we rejoice when someone else is doing well? There are two options we can make. We can either rejoice with other people's successes or we can choose to compare and grumble at why we are at where we are at. So the you should, I think there's two quotes here. Okay, it's a bit small, but I think it's printed inside, so it's easy to see. Uh, maybe we can uh, read it together. Can, it's all in the slides, so maybe we can read it together. Uh, three, two, one. The smallness of our gaze may be a temptation to us. We are consciously so weak and so insignificant compared with the great God and His great cause that we are discouraged and think it vain to attempt anything. The enemy contrasts our work with that of others and with that of those who have gone before us. We are doing so little as compared with other people. Therefore, let us give up. We cannot build like Solomon. Therefore, let us not build at all. Yet, brethren, there is a falsehood in all of this. For in truth, nothing is worthy of God. 
the great works of others and even the amazing productions of Solomon all fell short of his glory. But brethren, we must not allow this sense of littleness to hamper us, for God can bless our littleness and use it for his glory. So the truth is nothing is worthy of God. It's not that we are worthless, but God is full of glory. God is the one that deserves all glory and not us. But yet at the same time, though we are little, God chooses to use us to let us be part of His kingdom work and then use whatever little that we have and use it for His glory. So that's the amazing thing. So yes, we are so-called nothing in that sense, but God is the one who is glorified and He let us partner us in His work. So the second uh, quote here, uh, let's read it together again. Uh, 3, 2, 1. Dear Lord, I refuse henceforth to compete with any of thy servants. You have congregations larger than mine, so be it. I rejoice in their success. They have greater gifts, very well. That is not in their power nor in mine. I'm humbly grateful for their greatest gifts and my smaller ones. I only pray that I may use to thy glory such modest gifts as I possess. I will not compare myself with any nor try to build up my self-esteem by noting where I may excel one or another in thy holy work. I herewith make a blanket disavow of all intrinsic work. I am but an unprofitable servant. I gladly go to the fruit of the cross and own myself the least of thy people. If I err in my self-judgment and actually underestimate myself, I do not want to know it. I purpose to pray for others and to rejoice in their prosperity as if it were my own. And indeed it is my own if it is thy own. For what is thine is mine, and while one plants another water, it is thou alone that gifted the increase. See, so by A.W. Tozer, he's basically talking about how he doesn't compare with other people because the main thing is whether God is being glorified. So even if others are doing well, we rejoice in the good work that God is doing among their midst. We rejoice with them and we focus on what assignment that God has given us, be it little or small. But it's not the amount. It's God who is the one who is being glorified and it's God who gives us uh, that significance. So I feel that this temptation is very subtle, I think, even for myself and also for people who serve in ministry, not even in ministry, but anywhere that you go, there's always that tendency uh, to compare with others. And I think uh, you can see that someone is very mature when he's able to rejoice in other people's successes, even if he really wants their success as well. So we must learn to rejoice with other people instead of comparing and also work together uh, for the Lord's kingdom as well. And ultimately, it is God who gives the increase. So when I say this, I'm not trying to uh, demean our self-worth, but our, our worthiness is dependent on who God is and not us, us alone. So that's what uh, I'm trying to say. Lah. Mm, so we move on. Imitating Christ's humility. Uh, let's read the verse as well. Uh, 3, 2, 1. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself not looking to your own interests, 
but each of you to the interests of the others. The next one, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of self more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. So are we struggling with pride or even ambition? This verse uh, tells us to imitate the humility of Christ and also to follow in his example, to look at the interests of others. Sometimes our frustration or disappointment is not so much with regards to the work itself, the outcome of our work, but something we have to look deeper into our hearts to ask ourselves whether our disappointment is because of our own pride or, or ambition. God has granted us various gifts into the body of Christ for His kingdom work, and we must learn to rejoice at the different gifts that God has given different people. So don't try to be like someone else, but instead fulfill the role that God has given you to the best of your abilities. Be it small, medium size, or large size, we do it well to the glory of God. So that's the, this part. Okay, so the next verse, as you can see, uh, so verse uh, 1 talks about time, right? Verse 1 talks about time. Verse 2 talks about the audience of what Haggai is talking to. Verse 3 talks about three questions. Um, helping us realize what is the discouragement of the people. And then now in verse 4, we look at what God responds to them with regards to their discouragement. So you can see, as you can see, um, but now, okay, so you see in the uh, beginning of verse 4, but now uh, sickness, a transition to talk about the present now. So in verse 3, they are talking about comparing from past to present, then now verse 4 emphasizes, now, I want you to think about this now. And be strong, as you can see, is repeated three times. Uh, verse 4 is repeated, be strong, uh, be strong Joshua, then, uh, sorry, first one is be strong Zerubbabel, be strong Joshua, and be strong all you people. See, so to each of the individual and the group, God says be strong. I mean, it can, I mean it's quite easy, I can just say, be strong now, everybody. Very easy, very clear cut, right? But he chooses to emphasize each of the people group to want to encourage them to be strong. So that's the first encouragement, to be strong. And then the second uh, verb is and work. In the middle, there's a part about and work. So be strong and work because I'm with you. So that's the uh, motivation to be strong and work because of the Lord's presence. And also, the last verb is do not fear. So be strong three times, work, and do not fear. So these are the uh, three verbs uh, that Haggai is encouraging them. And the central message is uh, Haggai wants to encourage them to continue working on the table. So the central message is actually work. Be strong and work for the Lord's temple. And, the, and as I say, mentioned last week, doesn't this remind you of Joshua 1 9 again? To be sure, encourage us because the Lord will be with them. And a lot of the New Testament promises hinges, the motivation hinges on the Lord's presence with us, which I will talk a bit more uh, soon. And when you look at verse 5, right? verse 5 is actually alluding to something. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. Egypt? I mean, why was I talking about Egypt? 
You know, so Haga is actually alluding to something that happens in the past, which we all know happened in Exodus when the Lord uh, brought them out of Egypt and parted uh, the Red Sea. So God reminded them that just as how He has parted the Red Sea, just as how He has brought them out of Egypt, this is the same God whose presence is still with them uh, as well. And and uh, interesting thing to note is that just before David's death, he also encourages his son with words that are similar uh, to this. Uh, let me read it for you uh, from First Chronicles chapter twenty-eight, verse twenty. First Chronicles twenty-eight, verse twenty. David said to Solomon his son, "Be strong and of good courage and work. Fear not, be not dismayed, for the Lord God, even my God, is with you. He will not fear you or forsake you." until all the work of the service of the house of the Lord is finished. It's the same thing. Be strong, good courage, fear, all there. God promises to be with us as we work for Him. So that's the assurance that the Lord's presence is with us. So these are just some verses. I won't go through all of them. That even in the New Testament, God's also promised to be with us as we work for Him. Yeah, so it, and even though we are the one who is working, God is the one who works through us. So ultimately, yes, we are the one who is so-called the hands, but God is the one who gives us the energy, the will, and the motivation and uses what we have for His glory. So I think that's very important for us to know that God will empower us for His work, but we need to do our part. The Lord has chosen to use us as His hands and feet to accomplish His work. Of course, God can just snap his finger, then everything gets done. Uh, but the purpose is really to invite us to be part of his kingdom work, to give us that privilege to work for him. And this is not saying that it's not hard work. Uh, if it's not hard work, uh, Paul wouldn't talk about, wow, I, to this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy. Wow, you, I mean, as you read the verse, you can probably sense that, wow, that all the energy is this really a lot of hard work, the sense of tension. So this doesn't mean that you don't need to do any hard work. You can just lie back at the bed. Okay, everything will be done for me. Okay, let me just sleep and relax. Oh God, please do something. You know, No, it involves hard work. It involves the, the hard work. But at the same time, God works through our hard work as well. And that we know that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. Okay, so I just pause a while for you to... Okay, so aside from the Lord's presence, I think another part is do not fear, right? I think at the end of verse 5, I mentioned about do not fear. Uh, the response to that do not fear will come in in the second half of this passage. So I'm going to give you all uh, maybe five minutes on your own to think. Uh, but I think in the chapter 1, we were talking about the Lord's presence as well. This chapter, the same promises is repeated again. So I think it's important to ask, can we relate to the disappointment or discouragement of the people in terms of comparison? And how are we practicing the presence of God in our daily lives? So I just want to give you all this next five minutes uh, to think about it and for your own reflection as well. If you want, you can take this time to journal some of your thoughts as well. There are so much technological advancements everywhere. We have social media, we have internet access, we have become so connected digitally. In terms of the information flow, 
uh, information flows more easily now in terms of communication. But really, uh, as people, are we communicating deeply with one another? Even though with all these technological advancements, And at the same time, are we connected deeply with the Lord? So it's a bit ironic. Perhaps, I mean, maybe we are, but uh, I believe that uh, for most people, perhaps uh, even though with the technological advancement, uh, sometimes we might have neglected our so-called connectivity with the Lord. So of course, uh, all of these are important like in terms of social media, WhatsApp, all these things are very important. I'm not saying they're not important and we should capture on this technology but I think what's most important in terms of the first priority is are we connected with the Lord are we practicing his presence every day it's important that as a church that we want to practice the presence of the Lord we want to thirst and hunger for his righteousness uh, wherever we are and not just on the church level on the individual level what are we prioritizing are we prioritizing our own spiritual rhythms of life or do we let the challenges of life determine what we prioritize. So it's very different, you know. If we let uh, the things of the world prioritize for us, of course, everything will be thrown at us. But we must first choose to prioritize the things of the Lord. So like your quiet time, your weekly class meeting, your worship, and also even the one of the most neglected uh, Ten Commandments, which is keeping the Sabbath. So I think that's one thing uh, that I realized. So first, it's quite interesting. I think uh, in one of the youth session, I think we were getting them to recite the Ten Commandments. Like, okay, like they asked them to raise hand up, recite the Ten Commandments you. Then one of the things that didn't come out was actually the commandment of the Sabbath. So it's quite interesting. Right? I was like, hey, actually, I think that is one of the most neglected commandments. We talk about all our commandments, but we never talk about uh, the Sabbath. Maybe it's for you, it's the first time also hearing, hey, oh, there's a Sabbath. I mean, you know that there's a Sabbath in that sense, but we don't know about the significance of it. So it's maybe for us also to consider what does that commandment mean to us as well. So give an example. So for example, when I'm on the way to work or when I'm on the way back home, if I don't have any uh, text messages to reply, I try not to surf the internet. I try not to go and look at all the internet stuff. I try to quieten down myself and allow myself to practice the presence of the Lord by asking Him what does He want to speak to me or giving thanks for the day itself. So it's how you choose to want to practice the presence of the Lord. Everywhere you can do it, on the way back home now, on the way here, on the way to work, you can choose to ask the Lord what do you want to speak to me today. It's really all about prioritizing and the intentionality as well. So we move on to Haggai chapter 2, uh, verse 6. Verse 6, so now this is the second half of today's passage. And the first word is, so you can notice again, the Lord Almighty. Remember the first uh, session I talked about the Lord Almighty, right? See, so it's the same thing repeated over and over again. So in the first sentence, it says, In a little while, I will once more. In a little while, I will once more. The word once more implies that it has happened before. Like, I will once more do this. Means it has happened before. And the once more refers, uh, I mean, what, what happened was basically the shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. And this happened before at Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 19, verse 16. Oh, I wrote that, wrote down there. Exodus 19, 16 to 19. 
And we also know that if you look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 26, look at that passage. That passage also quotes Haggai chapter 2, verse 6. So if you go look at Hebrews 12 later, it also quotes Haggai 2, verse 6. And it's also alluding to the same situation. I don't have time to go through. You can go back home and read. But basically, it's alluding to the same situation as well. And as you can see, when you talk about the heaven and the earth, the sea and the dry land, it's basically referring to all of creation. It's referring to all of creation, that God is in control of all of creation. Then in verse 7, so after you shake all, I mean the whole creation, I mean, you talk about whole creation, the second part in verse 7 talks about how I will shake all nations. So all nations refers to God's control over human activities. So the first part talks about God's creation. This one talks about human activities. And it is the second shaking. So the first shaking is in verse 6, right? Shake the all, all creation. And verse 7 talks about the second shaking. And that's what verse 7 to 8 is talking about, the second shaking. And in the second shaking, it answers the question of why do not fear. So remember I was talking just now in verse 5. Verse 5, it ended off with do not fear. Why do not fear? The question hasn't been answered. Why do not fear? Uh, so this answers the question of why they shouldn't fear. So of course I must first say... Uh, there's much debate over the interpretation of what desire by all nations is. Uh, there's some debate, but of course, uh, in terms of the different interpretation, it doesn't affect uh, of what we understand about God. It's just whether this verse is trying to imply this or that. So I won't go too much of the debate, because I don't think that's significant. I'll bring up some of the various interpretations, but I won't go too much in depth, because that's not the main point uh, of the Bible study session. Uh, one of the big... Uh, one of the other understanding of this verse, uh, desire by all nations, uh, some things it refers to Jesus the Messiah, is actually uh, with reference to Jesus the Deliverer, uh, for whom all the nations ultimately long. So all the nations should long for Jesus. Uh, so some interpret it as this is what he's talking about, Jesus the Messiah, and there are valid reasons for this interpretation and then talking about how later on you look at uh, the temple right so basically they're saying that the yeah so verse 9 talks about the glory of this temple sorry, present house will be greater uh, than the glory of the former house it talks about how Jesus is that temple he's the glorious one so which is true like Jesus is the glorious one uh, but I don't think that's what this passage is referring about so I'm just giving you uh, a bit of it for you. One, if, if you are very interested, you can go back home and read about it. But that's not the main point for today's session. But I just give you a bit of teaser uh, to tease your mind a bit. Uh, so another trans- so another translation which I'm uh, sharing with us today and I'm, I'm going to emphasize is that the desired by all nations basically refers to precious things, uh, referring to the material resources needed for the rebuilding. Did I put the verse? Oh, no, I didn't put. Uh, so you can see Second Chronicles, chapter 32, verse 27, uh, chapter 26, verse 10, to see that desire can also be meaning material things as well. And why I say that it's material things is because verse 8 also talks about material things as well. It talks about how the silver is mine, 
the goal is mine is referring to material things. And why I say it's material things also because in verse three, verse three, if you look at verse three, uh, the people were discouraged about the temple, but they were being they were, they were discouraged about the physical aspect of the temple. They were discouraged that the temple is so small compared to Solomon, which is so big. So I mean, with this uh, reasoning. Uh, I feel that it's not, verse 7 here is talking about the material glory of the temple and not so much about the spiritual glory, though that's important for today, but in the, this passage, it's talking about the material glory. So what these two verses is basically saying, that God will shake the nations uh, to give the required material resources needed for the rebuilding project. And then this fulfillment, as you can see, was recorded uh, in Extra chapter 6, verse 1 to 12, when the whole wave of silver and gold came for Persia. Okay, so of course it's open to interpretation. You can go back home and read more about it. Uh, both are also valid as well. Okay, so I'm going to talk about material glory of the temple. So the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house. So when they talk about that, uh, it answers the people's concern in verse 3 about how the temple is so small. So verse 9 uh, answers the question of the why the, niche, the goal of shaking a nation is to provide for the material uh, needed for the building of the rebuilding of the temple. And then when we look at present house and former house, it's not referring to two houses. It's referring to the same house but two different glories. And if myself again, it's not referring to two diff- like two houses but it's referring to the same house, but in terms of the different condition, different glories, and it's referring to the splendor of the building about what is going to come. And, and we cannot say that uh, this, I mean, when you compare the dif- so-called different glory, we cannot say that it's talking about God's gl- glory. Why? Because God's glory cannot be diminished. It's not like saying oh, gl- God's glory today is 10 points, lah. Then uh, yesterday is five points. Uh, you know what I mean? Like you, you cannot put a number to the glory of God. Doesn't mean God is less glorious than today. God is God. His glory is like, you know what I mean? It's, like it's, it's the same. It's glorious all the time. It's about how we display His glory. It's always glorious all the time. So it cannot mean that oh, now, now God's glory is greater. Uh, you know, God can diminish. Uh, no. So I don't think it's referring to the so-called spiritual glory, we are talking about the physical glory, the physical aspect of the house of the Lord. And then the final encouragement is that in this place, I will grant peace. The temple is a source of peace. It gives people hope about what they are building and what the temple would bring. And although the focus here is on God's glory, uh, the temple with God's presence will bring about hope to the people. And that is a great comfort. Uh, so let me repeat again, uh, even though there are different interpretations, I think both are uh, valid as well. So I think that's uh, not the main point. But you can go back home and read more about it. So through this, we can see that God will provide. So God is basically trying to encourage people that He is the one who will provide the resources needed to accomplish the work of His kingdom, which is here in terms of the physical temple. And the purpose of it is really for His glory. The main point here is not to compare with other people. The main point here is whether are we doing it for His glory and knowing that His presence goes with us as we work for Him and that we do not have to fear because He is with us as we work for Him. So I think that's the main aim of what this passage is trying uh, to say.
okay, we are, well, actually we are very good time. Okay. Yeah, so I think I'll give an example of uh, my cell group. So I think uh, the main point here is, also, I mean, even though the passage is talking about the physical aspect, I think for us, in terms of New Testament people, the application is about whether we are building uh, the spiritual house of the Lord, which is the body of Christ, which I shared last week. So I'll just share an example of my cell group. I've been leading uh, my cell group for about 10 years now. Uh, so yeah, I think 10 years ago, I look younger, look a bit skinnier. Though now I'm still quite skinny. Yeah, but I'll definitely look... Uh, skinnier than last time. I think today I'm probably 10 kg heavier than 10 years ago. Around there. Yeah, I think so. some of you who saw me grow up, well, last time I was really quite skinny. Even though, yes, now I still look quite skinny. Okay, I don't know why I'm talking about skinniness, but yes, uh, I think that's comparing uh, 10 years ago. Um, what else are talking about this? Uh, okay, yeah, 10 years ago, I think I started on my own. So I was the only cell leader back then. Yeah, so of course, you know, la, people. Like young, I don't know what I'm doing. Then people ask you, okay, sir, fast, sir, fast. Okay, okay, yeah, sir, fast, sir, And then it gets, it add on more and more and more. Uh, but definitely, I mean, back then, I'm not saying I don't like to serve. I think back then I was very thankful for a privilege to serve. So I was leading a cell group then. I think they were about set three, set two. I was on my own. And the group was quite small. So of course, during my cell journey, there was definitely discouragement as well. I still remember on the first day of my cell meeting, as we start the year, uh, there was one person who, change to another cell group. I was like, ah, like, what happened? I mean, our first day already, they want to change to another cell group. I was like, uh, okay. I mean, of course, as a young kid, of course, I mean, as a young person back then, I was definitely discouraged. Uh, but I mean, I took it in my stride. And of course, along the way as well, there were people who left along the way. Uh, of course, I mean, it definitely made me question my abilities as a cell leader as well. But I think God was the one who gave me encouragement. And also along the way as well, as you know, as leading young people, young people also will fight with one another as well. Uh, so there were definitely conflicts uh, that, that needed to be resolved as well. And people also left because of that. So there's so much internal, not saying a lot, lah, but there were internal conflicts that had to be resolved. And as a young person back then, uh, back then there wasn't very structured and formal training. Uh, there was no one to say, oh, no, do this, do, do that. Because there was so much lack of resources in terms of manpower back then. So of course I felt alone in some sense. Uh, but what helped me was, wasn't me going for some uh, so-called training to know how to resolve this. But what helped me was really committing this to God in prayer. I was really asking God, how do I do this? I don't know. Back then, I still remember my cell group, so many girls, then no guys. And if I, in my mind, I was thinking in the long run, the guys will feel very lonely. And eventually, they'll leave the group also. So, I, I mean, as I shared with a lot of people before, I remember sharing that I pray to God, bring in more guys. I need more guys. I mean, it sounds weird. Like, why, who asked God to bring in more guys uh, to the cell group? But that was really my prayer. And for some of you who know my cell group, uh, in a few years, God brought in indeed uh, more guys to my cell group. To my surprise, they came from uh, other places. Okay, not say other. I mean, they came from outside. Okay, yeah, outside, and they really joined the cell group. And God really uh, encouraged me to tell I think God really encouraged me to tell me not to worry, but to focus on my walk with Him. So my I didn't went for some seminar to know how to lead cell group. Uh, my main aim was focus on walking with me, pray about it, and I will lead the way. So that was all that I did. I didn't have some secret technique or secret formula. I just continued to focus on my walk with God and to share the example with my cell group as well. And I think it was quite. And I began to realize that more and more about the importance of being a role model was because one of my friends came to me and he commented to me, hey, one of your cellmates sound like you, you know. It's like, what well, the way you talk uh, in terms of the words that you use, what well, sound like you. I'm not going to say who is it, okay, but he told me and I said, like, oh, wow, I didn't know that. Eh. 
Oh, so it made me realize that role modeling is very important, and I really thank the good Lord uh, for seeing my cell group through. If you ask me, was it one year that I saw a difference? No. Was it even two years? No. Was it even three, four years? No. It took a whole long, uh, many years, five, six years to even see the fruit of what uh, I was laboring for. So if you think uh, laboring for uh, in ministry were barefoot immediately, I think the answer most of the time is no, unless God does a supernatural work at the moment, which He can. Uh, but most of the time, it's, that's not like because God wants us to persevere on for His work and to see the fruits of His labor. So just want to encourage you to persevere on for the work uh, of the Lord. So aside from me, I want to ask us, similar to the first question, how is our building up of the body of Christ? So I think last week I asked you to reflect about the building up of the body of Christ. How are we going about uh, doing that? Does this COVID virus hinder us from loving our neighbours? I'm really glad that despite of the situation, all of you are here today to learn more about God's work. But I want to challenge us deeper about how are we loving our neighbours around us, especially in this context today. Could God be shaking our inner fears, our comforts to ask us to truly consider what is important in our lives? To build this spiritual house of the Lord, just as we are, Amokyo is going to build a home with a heart. What kind of house do we want to build? And the house is made up of all of us. All different kind of people. As you can see from the picture, it's not just one color. It's different colors, different groups of people, both male and female, different groups of people coming together to build that house. We all have a part to play. So in the next slide, uh, there's a quote from Martin Luther. Uh, I think some of you may have seen that. Because, uh, back in 1527, 1527, a deadly plague hit Martin Luther's town of Winterberg, and he wrote a letter to a friend uh, um, explaining how churches should deal with such situation, such pandemic, so we can learn from church history about how our church fathers handle this type of situation and how does it apply to us today. So as you can see from the screen, or you can read from the uh, slides, we can read it together. Three, two, one. I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Then I shall fumigate, help purify the air, administer medicine and take it. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order not to become contaminated and thus perchance inflict and pollute others and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. If God should wish to take me, he will surely find me, and I have done what he has expected of me, and so I am not responsible for either my own death or the death of others. If my neighbor needs me, however, I shall not avoid place or person, but will go freely as stated above. See, this is such a God-fearing faith, because it is neither brash nor full heart, and does not tempt God. So the turning point is in the this part, if my neighbor needs me. So that's the turning point. If my neighbor needs me, however, I shall not avoid them. I will go and love them. So basically, we, as we can learn from this example, it means that we should be socially responsible. I mean, the first half basically talks about how if it's not needed there, he won't go and uh, go there and purposely uh, spread it. So likewise for us today, we can be socially responsible by practicing personal hygiene, washing our hands, not attending church if we are sick, and so on. We all know. 
like what Martin Luther did. But at the same time, see, so the turning point here is, so we all know the first half, but the second part is, however, faith in God leads us to love our neighbours, to have faith in God. Faith and hope in God doesn't mean that we won't get infected uh, from any kind of virus, but because of who we are in Christ, we have that internal security in Him and that we are not afraid to die. Because we have the assurance of our salvation, we have the assurance in Him. Following the examples of Jesus and His disciples, following the examples of many of our persecuted brothers and sisters, we all have the assurance of our salvation, we all have the eternal security in Him, and that in the face of any danger, we are not afraid to die for the sake of loving our neighbours. And we know that the Lord's presence will be with us as we carry out His work, using it for His glory. So you see that, that two uh, tensions, so-called tensions we have to face, that we must be socially responsible, but if we need to love our neighbours, we are not afraid. We do not fear death because we know we have the assurance of salvation. We have the security even in the face of death. So that's how we should approach it, that we should love our neighbours, most especially in the midst of this crisis. So I guess I think for us, uh, there are many interruptions. I think there are interruptions uh, to our work, there are interruptions in our family. I think some of you probably have planned a holiday plans. Uh, some of you at the ministry side, a lot of events are cancelled because of mass gathering, etc. Et so it's very easy to feel very discouraged that all my plans are being disrupted. How? How? All my plans are being disrupted. What should we do? Is, is it that uh, because of the disruption, the Lord is not at work. Perhaps I feel that now is the time to reconsider because of this, what is God asking us to focus our attention on? So basically what I'm saying is that all, it doesn't mean that all hope is lost. So yes, our family vacations may be cancelled, but could it be an opportunity and time to instead of focusing on where to go? You know, sometimes when we go holiday, we always talk about, okay, we must go this, okay, by day, so and so, we must travel to this place. Like all rushing here and there, focusing on where to go. But perhaps now is the time to focus on the relationship that we have with other people because we are forced to be in Singapore. I mean, there are not many activities that we can do, but we are forced to focus on deep conversations that we can have with our family member, um, doing, f- doing family devotions for us we, that we can do, really just being intentional about that. I think there's an opportunity to consider that, uh, not that all hope is lost. And perhaps for ministry events that are cancelled, that are postponed, could it be an opportunity now to not focus on events, but then to focus on the personal relationship that we have with one another. Instead of focusing, okay, I need to plan this. Not that it's not important. I think events are important. But then now with this situation, could we focus on the relationships that we have with other people? We can still meet with one another in terms of our friends. I don't think, I think that's okay. I mean, our own friends that we have. I mean, with the fact that you are here today, means you are willing to meet up with one another. So we can still meet up with our friends to encourage them in the Lord to continue going for class meetings. So basically what I'm saying is that now, even though we cannot go for events in that sense, organized event, I think the Lord is trying to focus us in terms of building authentic relationship with one another. Because in a large group, it's very easy to not focus on relationship, but then now we are forced uh, to so-called scale down a lot of things and to be more intentional in our relationship. And that was, that was what the house church did in the past. They all met, that's why it's called house churches, because they met in houses. And you know, house cannot take thousands of people, right? So they all met in small groups. 
And that was so transformational. So I think the Lord is asking us, now given this situation, to consider how we can be more intentional uh, with one another. Perhaps it's also a time to also see how we can volunteer in church as well. As you all know, uh, we do temperature taking, so it is a possibility to also consider how we can help out to do temperature taking in church as well. I think for some of you all who have heard, there are many people, Christian groups or even non-Christian groups out there, showing love and care to the health care workers or to the frontline workers. They are giving care packages. How could you show as a cell group, as a ministry, or as a small group, how can you show care and concern for these people who are at the front line and show love? How can we volunteer for food charities to give food to the needy? Because of the whole current situation, because people are scared of meeting, I mean making contact, I think they are lacking in volunteers as well. So as, at the Trackers program, we also volunteer uh, at the food charities as well. And of course, there are many people who, whose income will be affected by this situation. How can we consider helping them? So I'm just showing, giving you examples. I think the Lord will impress more in your heart about how you can help in this situation as well. So I don't want us to just stop here and think, okay, after this website I go home. But what is the Lord leading you to consider uh, to build the house of the Lord? Okay, so let's read this verse uh, together. Uh, three, two, one. By the grace God has given me, I lay a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation, Using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one skipping through the flame. So the Lord is the one who is the cornerstone, who is the foundation, and that we are all building upon this foundation He has laid. And this fire basically uh, refers to the end times when the Lord will test each of our quality of our work. So it's not so much about what successes we see now, it's more about what God sees us when He tests the quality of our work during the end time. So even though we may have so-called a lot of successes, a lot of people, uh, but if our heart is not right, the quality is not good. See, the, the, the thing here is that God is testing the quality of each person's work. It's not testing the quantity of each person's work. So even though you may be serving faithfully in the small little things, but because you do, do it with a great heart of love, that is of high quality. God is looking at the quality through the intentions of our hearts. So even though people may not give you the credit now, people may mock you, but what is more important is whether the Lord say, well done, my faithful servant, and that your work will be tested. Even Jesus himself focuses a lot only on his child disciple. That was his main focus. Even as he goes about his ministry, and a lot of, of 
if, I mean, if Jesus is like the superstar, I mean, why don't he just go to the whole world? Like, you know, like, why don't he be like Superman, fly throughout the whole world, you know, share the gospel of the whole world? Why don't he do all by himself? I think from that example alone, you can see uh, there's no so straightforward in the sense that it's all about numbers. But I think what's more important is are we faithful to what God is asking us to do at whatever area uh, that we have? So do not be discouraged, even though you may not see the fruits of your labor. But at the end times, when the Lord comes back in the second coming, He will give you the great reward. He will be your great reward. So let's take some time. Uh, I'm going to open us. So we are in good time. I'm surprised myself that we finished early. Uh, so maybe I'll just take some time if you all have any questions uh, to ask before I go close off with a short reflection for us. Okay, so I think in the next night, I'm going to get you all to, on your own, reflect about what God's leading you. I think anyway, we're early, so we have time to reflect. Uh, so let's take the next five minutes to reflect. And then Amy, help me uh, press the music. Okay, so before I close off in prayer, is there any question or doubts that you want to ask? Yes. Okay, so she's asking the question uh, on uh, the slide 18. Uh, slide 18. Wait, uh, let me shoot it for y'all. Yeah, so uh, I think Bisky person is older in English, so it's a, uh, she's asking about the last uh, sentence of this quotation. So I mean, this is a bit older in English, uh, but basically, I think there's a tension between um, foolishness and uh, faith. So of course, at the same time, we shouldn't be foolish in the sense that we should be socially responsible to take all the precaution. That's what Martin Luther is saying. But at the same time, he's saying that if I see a need. Uh, to love my neighbor, I'm going to exercise my love for this neighbor, even though that puts me in danger. And he says that that's not foolish, but that's love. I'm loving my neighbor in the, even in the midst of danger. So that's why he say that it's not a brash or fool. It's not basically a mistake. Like, basically uh, not rash in that sense, uh, but he's exercising his faith in love, to love his neighbor in that face of uh, danger in that sense. Like, yeah. As in, does not tempt God basically means that oh, I purposely go and go and near sick people. Lah. I want to tempt God to make him make me sick. Lah. You know that kind of thing, like try to tempt God. By saying that's not his aim. The aim is faith working through love. Uh, so I hope that uh, helped explain uh, what he was saying. Okay, sorry. Uh, any question that you need to ask? If not later, you can stay back. We can have a short talk. Lah. Uh, but not too long. I also want to go home also. <laughs> But sure, can can you can ask me? You can ask me, or you can email me also, or you can talk on Sunday also. Okay, so no question. Uh, let me uh, close in prayer. Okay, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you Lord for this wonderful privilege that we can come here to worship you, to give thanks to you, and also to hear more from your word. Lord, I pray, Lord, the words that we have heard today will do uh, work in our hearts, Lord. That we are not just only hearing your words, 
that we hear and we obey and build the, uh, the house on the firm foundation of yours. I really pray, Lord, that you help us to incline our heart towards you, Lord, that this will just be a, a beginning of greater things that you want to do through us, Lord. So may you grant us a faithful hearts to know of our assurance and our security in you. Help us Lord, to persevere on in the trying times and not to give up, but instead ask the, you what you're trying to do in the changing circumstances that we face. May you grant us a safe journey home as well. And I pray, Lord, that you will help us, Lord, to carry on your work in the days ahead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, thank you, everyone. Same time next week. Next week is our last session. It will be covering the rest of Chapter 2. So maybe uh, what will help is that you all can help me stack the chairs at the back and also help to keep the tables at uh, the right side. Thank you so much. Help me stick out the chairs. And I think Sally, you need to find me. Sally.